Welcome to the Friendship Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Binnick, and today we're gonna be talking about all things fitness, wellness, and mindset so that you can be the best version of yourself for everybody and your family and life that loves you and needs you. All right, guys, what is going on? We are back into the wealth category today, and we are going to be starting on part two, which is going to discuss a little bit about getting excited about finance and why is it that so many people in our society don't love it, don't want to talk about it, aren't excited about it, It's not a topic of conversation. We don't celebrate things that should be celebrated. We don't talk about things that shouldn't be talked about. People's financial situation is obviously not a part of our day-to-day conversation. For a lot of people, it might be the most private thing in their life. Even more private for many people than their own like health or conversations with their doctors. It's very personal. Think about all the people in your life that you've actually sat down and done a deep dive about the money that they have and what account and where they're at financially and have those active discussions. My guess is those people are the closest people in your life. And that circle probably doesn't extend very far. And there's some other reasons for this, but I think a lot of times it's the people who don't want to talk about it, it's because they're not overly excited about it. They're maybe not where they want to be. They're maybe not comfortable or confident to have the discussion with somebody about where they want to be or what they want to do in the future. And honestly, it's kind of one of those weird, like seven dirty things that we don't talk about with our kids, right? Is It's very common for people to not talk about money a lot. But as you start to study a lot of very successful people, and as you start to study people who are very good investors and people who come from wealthy families and have wealthy parents and some of those things, it is a normal part of the conversation to have discussions about things like assets and liabilities, to have an understanding of what it means to live below your means and how much you should save. And also it means a lot to have conversations around what being in a positive space with our wealth can do for not only our health and our well-being, but also the health and well-being of others. It can mean job creation. It can mean charity. It can mean helping out a loved one, helping out a family member out of a tough situation. It can mean having the time to have the conversations that maybe you want to have with your kids and not having to always work all the time. It can mean having your weekends back. Some of those little things are all things that having discussions early and often about, you know, where you're at with your financial situation and where you want to be and having conversations openly and honestly with people who you trust to help you and people who maybe know more than you and having that vulnerability to learn and ask questions and see where you can go in the future. There might be a lot there for you. And so our first part is to discuss why aren't we excited about finance? What actions do we take as kids that either motivate or don't motivate us to do well with money? Why is it something that not a lot of people are educated on? And I I honestly think that it is about tied with health and fitness and nutrition in terms of just people just having absolutely no clue. 
And so just thinking about very simple financial concepts, how far do you go with your understanding of how taxes work? And that's a pretty basic one, right? If you work a W-2 job, you're getting taxes pulled out of your paycheck and you're loaning the government that money for a year, right? And then they're going to tell you back once you figure out your taxes, how much you're going to be getting back. And there's all sorts of different things inside of that world that people just don't have any concept about with taxes. Something simple like your tax rate is not where all of your income is taxed, right? So you're not, if you, let's say you're in a 25% tax bracket, well, all $50,000 that you made last year is not going to be taxed at that percentage. It's a scaling ladder. And so there's a lot of these different concepts that people don't always get. And so then when politicians or when people talk about taxes or they talk about tax breaks or they talk about loopholes or they talk about all these things, it always tends to go over the middle class's head. The W2 wage earners, it tends to go over their head. And then when stuff goes over our head and when we think that stuff is maybe too heady or, you know, it's it's really advanced or it's something we don't necessarily need to worry about, well, then we're uneducated. And when we're uneducated, we're available to be taken advantage of. We're easily manipulated into believing things that politicians or other people want us to believe. Wall Street wants us to believe. You become very vulnerable to swings in the market and all kinds of other crazy stuff. Get rich quick schemes lottery playing all these all these things that we want to sort of avoid but if we don't know what we're doing we become vulnerable to them so there's sort of a step process i'm going to try to follow a lot of this step process all the way through this category through this series as best we can but the first thing is if you guys have kids or even if you were a kid thinking back to man knowing what i know now what are things that i would have maybe done or taught myself as a kid And if you guys have kids, what are things that I want to teach them early? And then how do I embody those principles? And I've had this conversation with some of the better financial brains inside of the friendship community, which we're very lucky to have a lot of, you know, incredibly intelligent people who, you know, run research departments and run funds and all these different things. And there's a lot of really cool strategies out there. One of my favorite ones I've talked a little bit about on the podcast before, but one of my favorite ones is assigning tasks. Uh, so let's some people might call them chores, right? Assigning jobs to your kids and having them earn real money and then taking things like taxes out of the money. And then teaching them ways that they can get out of the taxes and then teaching them ways that they can invest that money and making them a part of that process in every way. And you can start very, very simple. Like don't even worry about sticking with like real interest rates or anything like that. But let's make it really simple. Let's say you've got a medium sized lawn and you've got, you know, a 12 or 13 year old you know son or daughter who is now capable of handling a push mower. Okay. And so we're going to set a task of mowing the lawn at $5 per time that you mow the lawn. And so you tell them then, you say, listen, I have $5 here for you. You have two options. Okay, you can get this money right now and I'm going to take $1.50 out of it for taxes and you will be left with $3.50. Or you can put it in this account over here. You'll get all $5 and every month I'm going to pay you 50 cents in interest if you can wait to touch that money for a year. And so in one year then, you'll have $11 instead of $3.50. And right there in that one thing, if you guys know what I'm talking about, you see 
how all of a sudden we've taken something simple like mowing the lawn and we've turned it into a long-term financial lesson is can your son or daughter, can this child understand the value of waiting a year and getting $11 or taking the $3.50 now? And what's really cool is there's been a variety of different, and this can be every task. This can be taking out the trash. This can be doing the dishes. This can be, uh, you know, cleaning their room, whatever you want to be done. Right. And so, and make it something where the interest is maybe slightly outweighed, right? Like get them a, get them a good return, right? Get them like 20% or 10% or something where it's, it's going to make a tangible difference where they can see it. And then you can take it to the next step and you can get them on, you know, if they're working with computers, most of the time these, these are going to be middle school or higher kids. They're going to be working on some sort of a computer already. They're going to have a Mac. They're going to have an app. They're going to have, you know, Google slides, depending on what school system they're going to be in. They're going to be at least a little bit familiar with using applications on tablets, computers, whatever. So get them on whatever the spreadsheet app is going to be. And then put out the chores on a tab and show them kind of this is what you can do. And then start to model and project how long things take. And teach them about how you can take a job and let's say, okay, I know mowing is $5 and I know it takes me an hour, right? So that's $5 an hour is simple. But cleaning my room is $2 and cleaning my room only takes me 10 minutes. So which one's better? And you can start to have some of these different conversations. And what's really cool about this for the parents who do it early in life is not only are we teaching them lessons, right? So we're teaching through doing and we're, we're making them a part of the process, which is just so important for kids. If you guys watch the kids, you watch the teens classes and you see them, you know, come in and buy in and learn to love working out, learning to love being a part of the system and taking that ownership in something. Uh, it's really cool to see. And for the parents who have done similar programs to this, what you start to see is they figure out things really quickly that you're kind of like, holy crap. Like, I, I didn't think that they would figure that out or like, so a good example. Uh, we had somebody who I think they were um, looking to maybe power wash their deck or something like that as like a, you know, 13, 14 year old kid. And they said, you know, I'll pay you $20 for this. This is a pretty big job to power wash a full deck and, you know, make sure like maybe the side of the house or something too. And so what they did was they uh, looked at the outdoor chores and there were like three of them. It was like power wash the deck, mow the lawn, do something else. And they went and they got three friends. And let's say the chores were going to give them $15, right? Well, they gave the other kids, I think, $4 a piece, right? So then they kept seven. The other kids kept four. They got all three projects done in a fraction of the time. So right then you see the entrepreneurial spirit. The kids wrap their heads around these things naturally. And so it, it sort of begs the question, where do we lose a head for these things? And I think for a lot of people, it's when we start to become a little bit manipulated by sort of the, you know, Wall Street world or, you know, for a lot of us, it's it's in college. You know, we take on debt. We have no clue what we're doing and we sign these contracts and you don't realize that this is going to be like you're signing like a 30 year contract as an 18 year old kid. And we get into these worlds where we start looking at things like credit when we really don't have business uh, worrying about credit yet. And so what I want you guys to think about and what you can help build your kids, because with kids, it doesn't matter if you start really small, like if, if kids are investing 
a hundred dollars a year from the time they're five, like they're already killing it, like absolutely killing it. And if you can embody some of these principles and get some chores done around the house, right? Like we're killing like three birds with one stone here. If you're getting some of these things done, you're setting your kid up for what I call an equity life, which is a life where we don't ever really need to worry too much about credit. And we'll talk later on about good credit and or good debt and bad debt, right? Where to use credit and debt arbitrage and some of these things. But that's going to be a little bit more of an advanced concept. So we're going to get on to that's going to be like step eight or nine, right? So that's going to be down the road a little bit. But when we talk about living an equity life, what does it mean? Well, it means we don't really ever worry too much about, you know, dialing up a bunch of credit cards or, you know, dialing up home equity lines of credit on our house and worrying about living a little bit outside of our means or purchasing things that we don't have the straight cash for right away or buying cars on financing and becoming sort of a slave to these interest incurring problems all the time in our life. And if you can imagine a life where you don't have a lot of debt hanging over your head, Well, that life is automatically going to be a little bit more stress-free, a little bit less anxiety. And as kids, when they're 9, 10, 11, 12, like they're not going to be in debt. They're not going to have a lot of credit worthiness. Nobody's going to start to worry about building up their credit when they're 12-year-olds. And so that is the time where you can get them to start a checking account, start an online savings account, start an investment account, start a brokerage. You can start looking at developing some of these things with them when they're in that 12, 13, 14, and you can get six or seven years ahead of the game before they really have to start worrying about these things. And then when they start to look at doing things like purchasing a car, buying gas, car insurance, some of those things, you can start to advance the conversation a little bit. You start to move up what their chores are going to be paying them. You start to move up what chores they're doing start to have better opportunities to make more money with real jobs. And so when you start to look at those things, you can start to advance their education as the demands for their you know, costs start to go up. So when you're 16, you know, a lot of kids, well, not a lot of kids, I think just Uber, but let's say you're classical, right? And let's say you want a cell phone, you want a car, you want car insurance, you want gas. Well, you know, you should, your kids should learn about the fact that like those things cost money and you should engage with them in the process of how to purchase those things. And okay, if you can't afford this, then we're going to, what do we have to do? Okay. We've got to work a little bit. We've got to invest. Well, do you want to tap into the savings that you've been working on since you were 12 years old to buy, you know, a fancier car, which is going to cost more in insurance, more in gas, or do you want to be a little bit conservative and keep some of that money? Now you're dialing them in a little bit to a conversation where you can sit down and you can start to have these real adult conversations with kids and start to build, you know, a little bit of excitement. And what I can tell you, what I guarantee you is that when somebody works for something and they pay cash for their first car, it doesn't matter if that car is the biggest piece of shit that you have ever seen. They are going to take more pride. They're going to wash it on the weekends They will take more pride in that car. They won't want to bang it up. They won't drive it too fast. They won't text and drive. They won't do some of these things because they're more invested in the process from the word go. 
And so I think that these are some of the things that, you know, if you look back on your life, if these weren't opportunities that were given to you, it's fine, right? But that can give you a little bit of insight into why maybe you aren't quite as educated on things or why, you know, you feel weird talking about money. It's not something that you grew up talking about all the time with your parents. It's not something that you grew up, you know, really dialing in your education and you didn't grow over time to learn more and more and more. You didn't go through the understandings of assets and liabilities. You didn't understand the benefits of entrepreneurship or owning your own company versus, you know, working a W-2 wage job. Didn't understand the the benefits of, you know, of tax avoidance and some of these different things that a lot of different opportunities are available out there for us if we have the knowledge and information. So what I want from you guys is as we go through this series and as you guys go through the process of, you know, being a parent, if you guys look at being a parent in the future, is I want you to be feel confident to be in that seat that you can be the educator. And you might not be able to teach them the most advanced, you know, like options trading protocols and, you know, <laughs> huge like corporate tax strategies and all these things. But you don't need that. Even if you just take the very early steps that we were just talking about and teach them the definition of that sort of long term holding and interest bearing and compounding versus taking the money now and having taxes taken out. If you can teach them some of those advanced strategies, that's the stuff that's really going to pay off for them over the long haul. So let's start kind of diving into things a little bit. So let's say, you know, we didn't get any of that when we were a kid. Let's say we weren't taught any of these things. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't and we didn't. And it's super common. Most of the people that I have conversations with about this stuff also, you know, not a lot of knowledge and information when they were growing up. And it's that was very common, right? Now the internet has done such a fantastic job of making these things available 24-7 all the time in your pocket. You can read up on and you can invest a PDA like the most advanced concepts in the world and you can learn about these things immediately. You can subscribe to a handful of podcasts and learn the most advanced strategies. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad, uh, but you can learn everything you need to know. And the internet has done that for us. That was not something that was available in the 80s and the 90s when I was growing up. And so it's not anybody's fault, but now it's like your, your only excuse is that you just didn't take the time for it. And so when we get kids excited about it, they're going to take more ownership in these things. And when they take more ownership, that's going to be something that provides a lot of pride, a lot of freedom, a lot of happiness. Um, all, all of these positive emotions are going to be associated with always being in a good spot financially. And the opposite is true when we're in bad spots financially, right? We have stress, we have anxiety, we have worry, we have potential financial ruin, we have a lot of really bad things associated with that. We don't have opportunities. And so don't we want that for our kids? And don't don't we want that for each other? You know, this is an abundance mindset. Like if you do well with money, that doesn't affect me positively or negatively. And I'm a true believer in that if everybody knew this stuff and if everybody understood that, you know, creating things and creating businesses and creating jobs that, you know, were beneficial to society and help solve problems and all these things like everybody would benefit from that. And so it is a very capitalistic view of things. I understand that. But um, anyway, as we start to move into our next piece, we're going to talk about debt which unfortunately, uh, debt right now in America, uh, both from a governmental standpoint, but also from a personal and individual standpoint, is uh, a little bit of a problem, I think. And, I, you know, it's unfortunate that 
the government has stepped in so much uh, into the world and into people's lives from the debt perspective. And so for a lot of people, this starts with their college education and, you know, tuitions tied into student loans uh, really have not benefited people very well. And so when we look at things, when we're going to take on debt, we have to understand what is the value that we're receiving back. And so I'm not against student loans if we're going to take that for something that has a very positive ROI. But what a lot of people don't know is about 40% of all student loan borrowers don't actually finish a degree. And I don't have the statistics because there's not it's not really a trackable thing. But I would assume that a vast majority of the students who do graduate and do get a degree don't even really honestly end up necessarily using that degree for whatever career field they go into. Now, it might have like a bachelor's requirement or something it might get your foot in the door. But a lot of people don't actually end up using that degree. So the ROI on these student loans uh, a lot of times really doesn't net out for people. And so I've done really lengthy, deep dives into, uh, you know, my my Mike Rowe dirty jobs uh, straight out of college thing for a couple of years. And it ties into hand in hand exactly what, you know, I was just talking about. And let's say you start with a kid who's 12 years old and you start him with mowing lawns. And, you know, I caddied at a golf course. If you guys are around here, like that's just a great way for kids to learn the value of a lot of different things like waking up early on a weekend, working, it's physical activity. Uh, it teaches you how to communicate effectively with adults. It builds a lot of confidence. There's a lot of great things about caddying that teaches you a lot about not only money, but just how to carry yourself in a business environment. Uh, but let's say you start a kid 12, 13, 14, you start them with some simple chores and then they build up to maybe some sort of a job. Maybe they take on some more lawns. Maybe they start a little mini landscaping business or a power washing business. Maybe they help clean out gutters or hang Christmas lights. There's a lot of different things that kids can do. Okay. And let's say at 18, 17 or 18, they're actively engaged with looking at these opportunities to, you know, earn a higher dollar per hour. And they start to, you know, look at education. And they start to think about, okay, is this going to be the best decision for me? Is this what I want to do? Well, when you're looking at putting your own money up, so let's say you're looking at that kid. And let's even say you guys are going to go above and beyond. Let's say you invested in a college education uh, for your kids and you put away for, you know, a 529 plan or whatever it is. And you said, you know, hey, I'll match whatever you can put up. Well, I can guarantee you if the kid is looking at putting up the money that they've just worked this last six or seven years for, or if they are going to go and maybe take a year off and work instead, and they're going to put up real cold, hard cash. They're not going to take a loan. They're not going to take on debt. They're going to look at paying cash for their tuition. I guarantee you that cannot not affect their decision-making process. And so now we're looking at maybe doing something like a community college for a year or two, doing some online schooling while I work, and then maybe thinking about once I know a little bit more about what I want to do, once I know a little bit more about where I want to go and what career field I want to be in, then maybe with a targeted, real analytical deep dive into exactly how I'm going to finish my degree and where I should go and what I should do, then they dive into a university tuition. It's going to affect decisions in a very positive way, and it's going to set that kid up for a lifetime of you know being in a positive place equity-wise and not starting life out in this big hole. And there's a lot of excuses around student loans, but when we start thinking about this, and when I, when I the way that I look at things is, why do people get into debt traps? 
And so for me, I worked from pretty much the day I turned 14. Um, and even then had chores and mowed lawns and stuff before that. But I was always working, always worked my whole life. And uh, when I went to OU, it, you know, that was kind of one of those things where, you know, my parents were looking at, you know, hey, we've put away for your plan. We're going to look at, you know, helping you out with your education. And I went for a year and I just had no appreciation. I had no buy-in. I, I didn't even think about the money. It wasn't real, right? It just was an extension of high school. And so I left and I went into the military. And when I get out, get out of the military, I'm 26 years old or 25 years old. I have a totally different perspective on life, on jobs, on you know equity and ownership, on W-2 wages. I've paid taxes now for a few years. I've worked long hours for a few years. I've been in charge of people. You know, I've been I've been the grunt, the peon who has to do all of the work and I've been the you know leader and I've learned how to have tact in conversation with bosses. You take a lot of things away from that. So now when I go back to school, I showed up every single day for class. I never missed a class while I was in school. When I went back, showed up every single day, showed up early, met every one of my professors, had an adult professional conversation with them. I got to know them. You'd be amazed at how long that goes uh, in college. And I know a lot of your guys' kids are listening to this series. So, um, you know, I hope you guys are, are, you know, really taking away a lot from this. But I had a totally different buy-in when I chose to go back to school on my own dime. And at that point, the government paid for it, right? So it was free. Not only that, I got paid to go. The GI Bill paid me a housing allowance and a book allowance and a bunch of other things, allowances, to go back to school. So while my peers were going into, you know, I think I calculated up one time, it would have been about $85,000 of principal. And then you add on whatever interest, whatever my interest rate would be, call it $150,000 over the span of, you know, a 20 year student loan that I could have started out in the negative. Well, instead I got paid about $35,000 to go to school in the positive. So that's $175,000 swing to quote unquote start my post-college career. Now granted, I was a little bit older and I was able to save a lot of the money that I had from the military, but that's a big difference. And you can do that difference and you can get into that place if you make some of the right decisions when you're first starting off in your career. And so I think the biggest thing that I can tell people is if you're not in debt, if you're a kid, if you're listening to this, just don't even ever burden yourself. Don't even ever bother yourself with trying to get in it and talk like hell with your parents about debt and ask them if they've ever been in debt and ask them, you know, if they've ever struggled to, you know, cover payments for a month and look at what their monthly obligations are for people and how much of that goes to interest. And if you guys aren't calculating that up, one of the first things that you should do every month when you look at your budget, when you look at, you know, all of the payments that you have to make on things is how much went to interest. And that's calculating up your mortgage payment. That's calculating up your car payments. It's calculating up any credit card debt you have, any student loan debt you have. Calculate up those things and write that number down and put it on a post-it note and tape it where you're going to see it. And there's people where they'll spend eight, nine hundred, a thousand, twelve hundred for some of my my medical students that might be listening to this. They're like laughing. <laughs> they're like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. You're not even close yet. Like, keep going. 
they're paying that much every single month in interest. And that's just throw that's money that's just kind of thrown away. And so the first thing is to just avoid debt if you have the optionality to do it. If you're not in debt right now, that means that you have the best option to never get in debt because the only thing that'll ever put you in there is to start making decisions that require it. And if we are already in debt, we're going to start to have that conversation today about the excitement of getting out of debt. And so I'm going to tell you guys this story. I've told it a couple different times. Um, and this is something that I've actually had now about four times in my life that I've had these conversations with people. And it's the day when you see somebody want to do something in their life and they have to realize that they can't do it because of the debt they're in or because of decisions that they've made in the past. And there's no thing there's there's just nothing you can say to that person outside of i'm sorry that sucks but you can't and that might be a banker denying you for a home loan you might have found your dream home the absolute best home that you and your wife and your kids wanted to start a family in it's the neighborhood you wanted to be in it's everything that you ever hoped and dreamed it could be but you get denied because of decisions that you made in the past and so this story starts with me and maria looking at moving in together and we had been dating for a little while and uh, we were looking to you know, buy a condo. And I had a little bit of money saved up that I wanted to put down. And we were having a conversation of, you know, you know Maria, do you, wanna, do you wanna buy this together? Do you wanna go in on the loan together? And in one question, it dawned on me that we'd never really talked about this. We'd never really talked about money. And as soon as that conversation started, as soon as I started asking that question, which is for me, honestly, it was just kind of a seemingly innocent question. It wasn't something I didn't mean anything by it. I wasn't trying to hurt her in any way. It wasn't something that was malicious. I wanted to know, you know, when we start our life together, like, is this, is this something that, you know, you want to be invested in financially? And as that night went on, she cried more in that one night than in any night that I've known her since, which was, this was, uh, seven years ago. And the reason that she was crying was as we were going through this, as we were going through her credit report and as we were going through her bank statements and as we were looking at her checking account, and as we were doing these things, I had to tell her that she couldn't be a part of it. I had to tell her that she wasn't going to be able to be on the loan. And we started to look over the obligations and the things that she had to pay back to get on the positive side of things. And that burden, that, that debt beast that just laid on top of her shoulders in that moment, uh, you could tell it was just, it's this stress that just rides you around all over the place. And, you know, that was something that was a moment for her. And it's a moment that comes for a lot of people that we really just want to avoid. And it's a moment that I really love helping people figure out what is the first step what is the first thing that I am going to do to start to get out of that. So that's what we're going to talk about. So the first thing I told her was you're going to call every single credit card company that you're behind on every single credit card company that you're paying the minimum payment on right now. And you are going to ask them, and say, um, I have the opportunity to pay this off. 
I'm wondering if uh, you can tell me what a consolidation might be and if you can take any of the money off of the principal so that I can get this paid down. So that was our, our first job was to get a dollar amount for what it was going to be to pay those things off. And so she did that. Uh, and she was able to get a surprising amount of money off. Now there's services and there's people who can do this for you. I don't know if you want to trust them, uh, but basically this is going to be your first step is if you guys owe credit card debt, the first absolute first thing that you're going to do is you're going to call these credit card companies and you're going to ask them for a lump sum payment, uh, especially sometimes if it goes to collections, a lot of times they're going to be even a little bit more lenient on some of these things. Uh, and there are credit agencies that can help you that you can call, but I, I recommend first calling for yourself. And call and have a conversation with them. Say, listen, I'm behind. Uh, you know, I have whatever. I have a boyfriend. I have a girlfriend. I have a husband. I have a wife. Uh, that's going to help me pay this off. But uh, they're not. They're not able to pay 100. percent I was wondering what you guys can do to cut some off, and they'll work with you. Okay. So that's our first step. And whatever it's going to be, figure out what you can pay off, and figure out where you're going to be. And the biggest thing that I would tell you is, if you guys have somebody in your life who can help you. The first thing that I would do is see if that person will pay it off for you and then pay them an interest rate that is fixed. Okay. Cause what happens is a lot of times there's going to be the, you know, the credit card agencies are going to be very easy to beat from an interest rate perspective. So let's say, so I think for Maria, we did this. I, t I showed her exactly what I was going to do. And so I paid this off and I had her pay me in monthly installments at an interest rate that was fixed on the thing. So you basically create like a five year fixed rate loan, right? And so it makes it a lot better in terms of the payments every month. So she doesn't get behind this debt snowball of a 25 or a 35 or a 40% APR rate. And so if you guys have somebody who can help you pay that off, that's where you want to go. If you guys don't do that, the first thing you want to do is start looking at, okay, what things can I downsize in my life? Where can I, you know, can I get a roommate? Can I crash on somebody's couch for a month? Can I sell my car? Can I get rid of my car payment? Can I pick up extra work on the weekends? What can I do? And I can tell you right now, there's about a million things you can do. You know, there's a guy who comes in the morning classes right now who's like, you know, working to help mulch and do some landscape in people's yards. He's got more business than he knows what to do with. And so there's just a million opportunities, but you now you have a figure. Now you know it's $1,500. I, I have to figure out a way. Like imagine gun to your head. I said, you know, I am going to kill your family if you don't figure out a way to get $1,500 by two weeks from now. You sure as shit, there is absolutely no way that you would not go out and figure out a way to do that money. And the longer the timeline I give you, if I say a month, it becomes easy. It's not hard, right? You're picking up a couple weekend shifts. You know, go out, figure out a problem, figure out how to solve it and be aggressive with these things. And so this is how we're going to start the debt snowball and start to figure out what things are going to pay off first. And so you guys can, you're more than welcome to look this up, but very simply, a debt snowball is you're looking at what is the worst interest rate I'm paying. And so if you guys are looking at this thing, you know, you just made your index card of how much you pay in interest every single month to everybody that you pay interest to. So that's everything that you are paying interest on right now. Okay. Let's say like you're the, the most egregious offender of interest buying. You, you buy your noble shoes and your shirt on layaway, you're paying interest there. You buy your furniture on, on financing, you pay interest there. You buy your cars, you buy your house, you buy, and everything's financed on credit cards and you have a home equity line of credit and you've got 11 things or 12 things listed. When you list the dollar amounts that you pay every single month in interest to, 
you're going to look at what one am I paying the worst interest rate on? Which one am I getting my eyeballs ripped out by the bank or the credit card company the most? And you need to look at that and you need to absolutely have your mindset in that place where you are getting your eyeballs ripped out by a multi-billion dollar institution because you're not aggressive enough with paying down your debt. With you're not aggressive, you aren't looking at it as a gun being pointed at your family. You aren't seeing the inherent risk of living a life paying interest, paying billion dollar companies to be a multi billion dollar company, or paying, you know, Visa to go from a $200 billion valuation to a $250 billion valuation. That's not the way you're looking at it. You're just kind of scraping by. And I'm only doing this based off of the people that I can tell you I've helped with this. They just try to scrape by, they just try to go month to month. Just make it one more month. Just make it one more month. And this huge gorilla just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger on your back until it becomes a, you know, a rhinoceros or a hippopotamus and then becomes a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And then it becomes this thing and then it just swallows you up. And so this is how we're going to be aggressive, right? You're going to pick whichever one has the worst interest rate. You're going to attack it with a zeal and a vigor that you've never seen out of yourself before. And this is where people, I think, sometimes start to get a little bit weird with not advancing or taking on enough pain, quote unquote pain in their life because people feel like, oh, you know, that would be, you know, giving up my weekends to help mow lawns or do these things like, well, that would be, that would be kind of a burden to my weekends, Jeff. And what you don't realize is if you're going to stay in that mindset, if you're going to stay in that financial zone, it's only going to be a matter of time until you have to work weekends. It's going to be a matter of time until you lose your home that you want to spend your weekends at. And so it's very important to be in the right mindset with these things. And so the, the biggest, most important thing for us guys, if we're kind of triaging this is first is just don't ever get in debt. And second, if you are in debt, make sure that you have a tight lip and you have an understanding, an index card, uh, a computer program, something that is going to calculate out how much you pay in interest. And then one of our first goals is to minimize that amount being paid in interest, unless we're at the advanced level where we're sort of debt arbitraging, where we're taking that cash or we're taking that interest rate and we're earning more interest off of whatever it's earning. We'll talk about that later on. And then the biggest thing, guys, with this is the easiest way to pay off our debt, the easiest way to look at some of these interest rate things, the biggest way to look at some of these problems is to downsize our life a little bit. And I think one of the hardest things for people is to sort of swallow their pride and get to a place where they look at a family member or friend you know, it's easy now. I think it's more commonplace for kids to say like, hey, can I move in with my parents? Can I live with my parents for a little bit until I get my debt paid off? That's a lot more commonplace now. And the reason is because of all the stuff we were talking about before with the financial situation around university and colleges. But I think when we start to become adults, a lot of times for people in Maria's case, you're 26, 27, 28, you don't know these things. And then you start to get into this situation where you're behind the eight ball. And so, you know, well, I need a car to get to work. Yeah. Like now, now we're going to start to struggle a little bit when you start to have these things and you don't feel comfortable to crash on somebody's couch for free, or you don't have mom and dad's house to stay with anymore. You want to start to live an adult lifestyle, but you're not ready yet. And why are we not ready? Well, it's because we've incurred too much debt and we're living paycheck to paycheck at best. So we're taking on two, three, four jobs and it becomes this 
crater that you just can't ever get out of. And so the best way to get out of a crater is like get this big ass running start. And it's like the warped wall in uh, American Ninja Warrior, like get a huge, huge, huge running start, get a ton of momentum and just knock that thing out in all one foul swoop and work your butt off, drop, you know, if, if you have to sell your car, if you got a, par- a car payment, if you got to sell your house and you got to move in with a friend and crash on a couch, if you guys have families, if you guys got to look at downsizing, whatever house you have and bunk bedding the kids and downsize, 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 downsize. Because until you get those things paid off, until you get out of some of that bad debt, you're going to find that you're never able to move into these next sections these next categories, which is where things start to get pretty fun. And this is where, you know, the biggest, the happiest day I think I've ever seen Maria, if you kind of reverse the tears and you make the story long enough, is when we paid off her last student loan and you watched her face and she got to this point where she had now paid off all of her credit cards. She had paid off both of her student loans, which she never finished a degree for. She had sold and downsized her car and paid off her car. And she looked at it and she goes, I don't have any payments anymore. I have zero dollars in interest payments. I have zero, I have zero people that I have to go at the end of every month and pay. And she just like sat for a second. And it's like she had this realization of what I call the equity life. And when that moment hits you and you saw the smile come across her face and you saw the pride and the coolest part was, I was like, the best part is, is like, you're just now getting to the exciting part. Like that's the anxiety and stress and stuff off your plate. Now we get to have some fun and now we get to uh, compound your money. And now we get to talk about all the fun stuff and we get to talk about, um, you know, wealth building strategies. And it's like, kind of like that scene in Shawshank Redemption when the kid sits down, he's like, uh, you know, I kind of like to start thinking about getting an education for my kids. And, uh, you know, he's like, well, you know, so he sat down, he said, do you want me to go to Princeton or Harvard? And, um, you know, they talk about kind of how they started laughing and cracking up about it, but it is. And I honestly, you know, for a long time, I think the wealth in our country, a lot of people think you have to make $100,000 a year, $200,000 a year. You have to be a doctor or a lawyer. You have to do these things. Uh, you know, it, almost everybody I know has some family relationship or somebody they know that's does something like a dirty job, like a micro, you know, they're just a plumber or an electrician or, you know, they own a some random business somewhere and they've done incredibly well for themselves. And I think a lot of that just comes down to these things. It's like what there's going to be a lot of similarities and probably the biggest similarities in a lot of those people is they pay cash for a lot of stuff. They When they go out and they buy a car, they're going to pay cash for it. A lot of times they're not going to go out of their way to buy things on credit. They're not going to pay a lot in interest. And so this conversation around debt and interest payments and equity and some of these things, these are very important concepts. And I think this is base layer number one. I just think a lot of people don't understand it. And the biggest thing, like this is probably even base layer like 0.1 is here's what Maria didn't know. And I hope that this isn't new knowledge and information for you guys, but maybe it is, is when you have a credit card payment, there's three different payments that you can make. You can make the minimum payment, you can make the statement balance payment, and you can pay off the card in full. Okay. 
what Maria was doing was paying the minimum balance every month, right? Which is like $35 or something like that. So let's say you owe $1,000 and let's say you pay the minimum payment, $35. Well, that 965 extra dollars, that's what they're going to charge interest on that month. And if you have a balance on top of that, they're going to charge more in balance. Like if that's just your new funds that you have to pay, right? Like from this month. So if that $1,000 goes into the $1,000 you already owned, well, now they're looking at $1,965 that they're going to charge you these interest rates on. And the minimum payment does not get you out of the interest payments. And so what's going to happen is you're going to get dinged 20%. And so your interest payment now is going to be $242. So you just paid $35 to get an interest payment incurred on you of 240 or whatever it is, right? I'm not going to sit here and do the math on it. And Maria didn't know that paying the minimum statement balance digs you deeper into the hole every month. And if you don't know that, like if that's not an education that you get and nobody, trust me, the credit card companies are not going to tell you this. It's in their fine print of like the 30 page single space document that you get. But like, if you don't know that base concept, don't, couldn't you see most people just making the minimum payment every single month? If nobody ever has this conversation with you, you're like you're screwed. And th that's the same thing is going to be true with a lot of our interest payments. Now, not everything's going to be this is these super high variable rates, but interest payments are interest payments, guys. And they're not things that we want to get used to buying. We don't want to buy the car we can't pay cash for and incur these interest payments because you're buying a $35,000 car and you're actually paying 70 grand for it. Are you paying 60 grand for it? And you've just paid 60 grand for an asset that two years later is going to be worth 10. That's a bad investment. And if you do that with every car purchase that you make over your entire life, you lose 50 grand every time you buy a car, every 10, 12, 15, four years for some people. Think about that. That's a lot of money. That's $250,000 if you buy five cars over your life. Now, if you compound that the other way over those same 40 or 50 years, that's millions of dollars, millions of dollars on one bad decision because you didn't understand one thing. And compounding works both directions. And so if you get to this point where you can understand some of these interest and debt things, and we're going to talk more about this, this is going to be an on-running theme of this parts of the series is if you understand compounding, you should be incredibly adverse to interest payments. Unless, and there's going to be our asterisk for this, unless you get to stage like seven, eight, or nine, and we're starting to look at interest rate arbitrage, which is a viable thing, but you have to be pretty advanced to understand some of that stuff. And so these are base level concepts. If we're still working on base level concepts, we should not be thinking about debt arbitrage, okay? So that is our series one, all right? This is a very important concept. I hope that I gave you guys something to think about with your kids. I hope that I maybe motivated you a little bit to start thinking about some of these things. Start thinking about what are games? What are some different things that we could play? What are, like, Monopoly is a great game for kids to learn how to play, by the way. It teaches you a lot about things, assets and liabilities. But start thinking about what are things I want my kids from a chores perspective? What are things that I want to incentivize positively in my house? And if you show them the incentives, you should show them the outcomes. And if, you know, if you want your kids to do well in school, if you want your kids to study hard, if you want your kids to learn about the process, if you want to learn these things, figure out incentives, figure out an incentive structure 
that will help breed these positive mindset things towards finances and money that will help lead to another conversation. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one. We're kicking off on uh, on part one here. And so the first thing we got to do is not be in debt. And this is pretty much going to be the cool part about a lot of this is this is pretty much going to be true. Any financial advisor, anybody you listen to that's going to talk about money, doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how aggressive or how passive they are. Pretty much all of step one is going to be figuring out where you're at with debt and making sure that we don't have a huge stress and anxiety of debt living over top of us at all times. All right. Let's have a great week. Love you guys. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you guys listening.